welcome to the Social Work Stories podcast. My name is Liz Murphy and good afternoon to you, Dr. Mim Fox. Hello, Liz. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. You know, since we've last seen each other, so it's about two weeks now, Yeah. I've been working with the social workers at the hospital I work at, um, training them for on call. Oh, exciting. Okay. And why it's really exciting is that this next episode is absolutely perfect for an on-call social worker. You're going to incorporate it in? Oh, I am so going to say (laughs) essential listening to this one. It's a very powerful episode, Mim, as you know. And it's about a social worker who's on call and gets called in to to work with a family whose four-year-old suddenly dies. That's right. So it reminds me of our very first episode. Yeah. If you can remember that one yeah. where, where a social worker was working with a family whose child dies from drowning. That's a, that's right. I do remember it. And lots of listeners have met, commented on that episode, have actually. They? they have. So it's one of the ones that people do remember. And I have to admit, when I was listening to the interview, I was actually... Uh, hanging out the clothes yesterday yeah I'm listening to this interview and I started crying okay so I want to warn everyone it's a powerful very powerful interview that is very moving but if you're wanting to hear a social worker walk through best practice around a sudden death of a child it's worth hanging in there for. But of course, you've got to look after yourself in the process. So yeah, that's please right. do that. Yeah. And I also want to reassure people when they're listening, everything's been de-identified. So even though the child is named, even though, though some of the family are talked about, it's all been de-identified and changed around a little bit to protect the family's yeah. privacy. I'm, I'm glad that you've mentioned that actually, Liz, because we've had a couple of people ask us the process that we go through with the stories the mm. social workers tell us. And it is important that people know that we're thinking about the people who these stories belong to, as well as our social workers who have worked with them. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks for including that. So I guess maybe before we play it, let's highlight a few things for people to listen to. Yeah. So... I'm thinking now of my social workers who are about to go on call who have never worked with a family whose child has died suddenly. Yeah. Listen to how she deals with the anxiety. Listen to how she works with the team of nurses and doctors. Listen to how she partners with the family around um, working with them and supporting them. Listen to how she works with the children of the family. Listen to how she works in that death space and the the detail that she goes to to help the family to leave that child behind and finally listen to how she looks after herself in the process because she's also a social worker who's a mother and she had to make quite a distinct statement to herself so that she could purely focus on the family yeah it's almost a how-to Ah, this will be essential listening to the social workers I'm working with. Yeah, that's a good checklist you've just given everyone. That's good. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. So it was a Saturday. Um, My usual day, uh, I receive a page from the NUM giving me a heads up. We have a four-year-old girl coming in. Uh, she was found unconscious 
started CPR at home, still doing CPR. So I thought, okay. Uh, like I said, it was started to get a bit of a panic. I don't know what to do. I think before that, I don't think I've ever had a, a child uh, coming in with that sort of concerns. Uh, so I started to panic. Anyway, I looked through our policies about what to do. What do I say? Um, you know, four-year-old child found unconscious, CPR commenced at home, just things that were in my head. Looking through the, I mean, with the polls, they only tell you so much. So I decided to just leave it. It's all right. I'll go with whatever happens. So I went to recess. Uh, they were already there. You could tell the curtains were closed, but there were all lots of people outside trying to get in. I saw the numb. She she saw me. We eyed each other. So she was she was able to give me a brief handover. It was a girl, four-year-old girl, Maya, uh, found unconscious. She was previously in emergency uh, with mum uh, with respiratory issues. I think she had a history of asthma. So I went in and mum and her sister, so Maya's aunt, were pointed to me looking over the nurses and the doctor's um, shoulders trying to get a view of Maya. I so the doctors and who were there were uh, the ED consultants, uh, some registrars, ED registrars, uh, the nurses. One nurse was doing CPR, uh, and then the scribe. So lots of people, and I think the cons the Peds consultant hadn't arrived, but I think there was a Peds registrar. Uh, and so I introduced myself with to mum and the aunt, and as you can imagine, they weren't really keen. I think they were just really heavily concentrating on what's happening with our baby, what's happening. Uh, so I, I, I stood with them, uh, and doctors here are really experienced and really good. Uh, about every couple of minutes or so, they would step back um, and tell mum what was happening. You know, we're just doing CPR. Uh, we do have to stop every few seconds to, to get a heart rate, to see if we can get a heart rate. Uh, and then w other things like, you know, we're doing some blood tests, getting some blood out, etc. Uh, so a few times that was happening where they'd stop CPR, see if they could get a heart rate. I was experiencing something that was, you know, I was a new mum at the time, so it really did, I did relate to it. So from another level, it was, I had to really kind of go, okay, it's not personal, don't, you know, you're here for mum, you're here for her sister, her support, so just in my head, just going, look, it's okay, you know, you have to look at it from their point of view and leave the personal, so anyhow, so... Every time they stopped and uh, to check for pulse, it was everyone had to, you know, almost stopping <laughs> themselves breathing because it was, please like, find a heart rate, find a heart rate, find a heartbeat. Um, so after, and they would always ask for the time. So after, before an hour had, they were coming to that hour. The the doctor had um, both 
the Pete's doctor and ED consultant had spoken to mum and I guess warning them, look, we are getting to this time. Uh, you can see that Maya's not responding, we're not getting a heart rate. Uh, so they did, it, there was, I guess, a warning for want of a better term. Uh, this is what's going to happen and then after I think it, I think it was even more than an hour from memory the consultant had actually said all right step back it's time and you can see the consultant consulting the peds consulting everyone I think it's time uh, and that was always the biggest my my worry as a social worker how do I then support their reactions and their grief you know what do I do what do I say uh, so it, it initially was really a team thing where we, we sat mum and her aunt down and obviously mum not wanting to hear that we were going to stop CPR uh, the doctors had said look we can't, we're not you know this is longer than we would give uh, anyone uh, the CPR we, we can't we don't want to uh, I guess the CPR physical is quite painful uh, especially for a child there's always a risk of doing more physical damage uh, so but then relaying that to a family to a mum uh, was just heartbreaking you know how so for them and I guess for me then how do you pick up so they've said that and they almost look up at you and go this is our social worker uh, so again reintroduce myself but it was really look if you'd like to be with Maya cradle her uh, we had to there was a uh, just a time before we did that where we had to explain to aunt was really fantastic in terms of being a support to mum she she was holding it keeping it together because she can see that the the doctors are trying to explain to mum and so she was the ears for mum in terms of listening uh we the doc after the doctors had ex had explained to mum look we've had to to stop this is the next step very briefly said look it's a coroner's we would like to know what's happened we want an explanation that's why we've had to keep um, the breathing tube for Maya so explaining that to even the aunt we kind of turned to her physically just so she, we could we would know that she understood uh, and that you know we didn't want to place Maya in more physical trauma uh, so we didn't want any, I guess, the reaction of pulling it out, take it off, take things off. So we really had to explain to Aunt, I guess, that this is why we've kept it. Uh, we can wrap her nicely if you have a blanket, which she did. Um, you know, we can cradle her, you can cradle her, we can wrap her up in that. Uh, and so really just being there for 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 mum and her aunt uh, in that you know initial response of no this can't be you know the shock of no 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 we can't she can't be she can't be dead and you know you've got to continue uh, 
um, and hearing that, we're hearing a parent say, she can't be dead, like, it's so surreal. It was a large uh, family, uh, all obviously in shock, but there were one or two, like, the aunt was so strong, and I just, from a practical point of view, I think she was just, she took on board everything, and for me it was, okay, I've got to make sure I don't, we don't overload her, <laughs> make her feel overwhelmed, like it's all on her shoulders. Uh, so it was touching base with her often, going, are you okay? I know you're staying strong for your sister. Do you need a break? You know, would you like to step out? I can speak to other family members. Uh, no, it's okay, you know, got to be there. And I remember there were other young children, not young, not probably school-age children, so having to kind of touch base with them as well, explaining to adults, you know, we are here, introducing myself, explaining our role and allowing them to be with Maya. So you can imagine we have a, a bay <laughs> with curtains and Maya, families in and out. What we did was Recess one is a room right next door. Uh, after we, s mum was with Maya, we actually offered, we have this room. Do you mind? Could we move Maya into the room? Uh, that way, you guys, we can close the door. Uh, there will be one of us going in and out just to be available. Nurses in recess and doctors very good in terms of we know that there's been a death we're being respectful so what they often do is they close all the other curtains they close the doors that in entrances and exits from the acute beds uh, so there is I guess we're trying to minimize uh, traffic <laughs> people traffic and you know the peering what's going on I think if it weren't for detectives or the police wanting to uh, see the house they probably <laughs> could have been here longer uh, as you can imagine it's a difficult you know when do you say goodbye when is that final uh, goodbye when does it take place and how do you tell them I'm sorry I think we may have to you may have to leave we'll have to take Maya down it, like yeah, if it weren't for the police who were he needed to to go and see the home because she was found unconscious at home, they may have been here. And ED can be so busy, and the nature of the beast is that it just continues. There's no stop. <laughs> uh, but doctors, numbs, they're fantastic in terms of, especially a child. They know. Um, that families do take time and they're going to need the time and the space so they're, they're not at all there's no pressure or urgency to get the family out get the family out, we need the bed, we need the bed yeah during that time uh, dad had actually sorry, so before we transferred Maya into recess one dad had arrived this, I think, this will, this is an image that doesn't leave me is um so family it had been a while since we 
we called, I think mum had called, someone had called dad and so he was actually at work and he wasn't close by so it took a while for him. And so you can imagine like, him arriving, seeing his wife in tears, you know, with Maya on her arms, he just couldn't believe it. So it was, oh, he, I remember him taking off his shirt and just going, no, 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 take my life and, you know, just being really um, physically holding her, not accepting, I guess, the news. So I remember one of the male nurses had to physically, look, we don't want to traumatise her, physically even more, you can cradle her, yes, you can hold her, yes, um, let's not shake her. Uh, let's not squeeze her too hard and um, it was devastating to see that you know a grown big man um, holding wanting her his child sorry to to come back um, detectives or the police had said oh look, we do we have to go um, we have to leave we have to see uh, we have to speak to you at home uh, and then the family's turning to you and going, oh, she's going to be cold. She's going to be alone and cold. And I remember going, no, we, we'll be with her. We'll, we'll look after her. Uh, one of our colleagues, that was her thing, was that we will look after, you know, your father, your mum. Uh, but for me, it was, we'll be with Maya. Uh, we'll look after her. We'll make sure we're someone's she won't be left alone and she wasn't remember uh when the family had left you know even talking to her okay we, Maya, we're just gonna do this with you we're just gonna clean you up wrap you in this um blanket that mum's left uh the nurses being really gentle with her as well and then someone walking with her with the the wardsman and I think what they do is from the from the hospital, they've um, we have the the police the coroner's pick up. So she wasn't she was never left alone. Uh, that and that was important to to be able to say that and follow that through. So that was the case in this one. In other cases, I've had the uh, detect or the police arriving, and then having to go. They they they're good in a way. They they don't force themselves on anything we're here we need to talk to the family we need to talk to I'll put if, if I get a chance I'll kind of take them aside say look can we just give them a few more minutes they know that you're here they know you have to ask uh, and often what they'll do yeah that's fine and they'll talk to the doctors they'll ask they'll get their medical information and then I'll slowly just say look to the family the police have arrived, but they're going to be talking to the doctors and the nurses. Uh, when you're ready, we'll probably need some time. Uh, we can do it here, they can come and speak to you, we can do it away and maybe have other family members come and be with Maya, if you prefer. So negotiating with them how they would prefer to talk to uh, police, you know, around what's happened. Yeah, so really the relationship, you know, often we don't know the police who are coming here. So making sure, again, being able to step back, I think is important to give them a heads up and go, look, this, you know, there's a four-year-old child. Can we give them just a few more minutes before you get into, I know it has to be done. 
uh, it's unavoidable uh, and generally they're they're good <laughs> and being available while the police are talking to them uh, you know making sure that if there are questions that they maybe don't know that you know maybe I can uh, answer it you know whether that's maybe I've had a case where uh, the doctors had explained to them this is what's happened and maybe them not you know you forget these things you get overwhelmed with information and then you're having to juggle your, your grief and so that's why I think as a social worker it's important that you're there uh, at least from the beginning so when doctors are relaying medical information in jargons uh, that you can, you're listening out just so when it do, when families or police do have questions you can then you're able to relay it without having you know to pressure families and add more stress to to them dad was you know holding propping up mum walking and others just even with uh, there was I think the grandma external family you know physically helping her a UKG need a chair you know and making sure that the children were able to to say goodbye if they wanted to um, and not force that on them uh, you know speaking to them about look this is what Maya looks like this is why she has the tube down her throat don't feel that you have to to go in there to say your goodbyes and working with families about what what's this what's your child you know do you think they'll be able to cope with this do you think you know and I guess working out with families some families are really protective and death is a taboo still with this family they were very open um, children have these children older children but you know children uh, have experienced death before not necessarily with children uh, so working out with families whether it was appropriate for the young children to to say their goodbyes or to see Maya was a, another role that we had to I had to navigate through. Uh, what they wanted was uh, were photos. Uh, so we were I said, look, as for me, social media is, can be a powerful tool, but it can also be uh, something quite negative. So I, of course, that if you'd like that as a memory of her, please do so. Maybe don't post it on social media um, if you're wanting to send it to to families that's your right uh, but again we don't want a photo of something that can be quite traumatic out there uh, and then one or two of them were taking a video I think they had families overseas and again it was yeah for you know their eyes only uh, and you know obviously respecting Maya's privacy uh, even though she's a child and you know we want to give her that respect um, and that dignity to to make sure that her face isn't everywhere that shouldn't be uh, and they were very good they were, the families were like no this is for us this is you know uh, I think they always wanted to make a book or, or something but yeah so they didn't want the memory the handprints because I know that's something that we offer the hand of uh, fit footprints they wanted to leave the blanket uh, I've had cases where they wanted to take a, a cut a piece of hair 
uh, or they wanted to leave a um, like a bracelet with like it looked like a rosary beads type. So we said yes, but you'll probably get those in return when they come from coroners because we don't you know don't keep those things. But yeah, so around those things, that's something that I wasn't able to speak to mum directly about what her wishes were. She just wanted to be with mine. I didn't want to interrupt um, her time with her. So working with families around what do you think mum would like for Maya? Uh, you know, were there pictures that maybe she drew that you'd like to leave with her? So I remember asking the family, extended families, about uh, Maya. So when they were telling me their stories about Maya, it was, oh, that was an opportunity for me to ask, would you like those things to, to be left with mine? That's something you could, you'd like to consider. So, yeah, I'm still carrying. Um, not because it, it, I mean, it was traumatic, but I think, you know, a child, like I said, I, you know, I'm a mum myself and I always reflect about, was there anything that I could have done to make the family's experience easier, um, you know, or at least minimise the trauma, being in ED, being the physical nature of ED. So it was huge and I think I'll always carry it with me, I think just because it was my first experience um, and to be confronted with questions like, you know, she's going to be left alone in the cold. You know, the the aunt. You know, I can still hear that question, and yeah, and looking after myself. Um, it's an ongoing <laughs> process because, admittedly, I probably don't do it the best I should, or I could. Uh, you know, whether I've started in the last couple of years journaling, and I think that's been, whether it's one word. You know things that are right or page <laughs> uh, being out I think socializing just with friends it's been a huge thing for me to be able to leave hospital the work uh, and switching off and having a life uh, outside of work it's been huge whether it's you know catching up with friends or just walks clearing my mind I love to fresh air so being able to either having just a leisurely walk you know or taking the kids out to the park and getting the fresh air <laughs> um, that's always helpful for me. Wow, Liz, I can really understand why you had that moment hanging out the washing listening to this interview with tears in the wind. So the crying started after I felt the anxiety. So so I'll, I'll run through my emotions when I'm listening to yeah. this. I go, oh, yes, when you get that call. Yeah. And if you've never done that particular case before so this woman's gone picked up the call a child who's having cpr coming in so she's That's gone right. to all those so i'm feeling anxious then but 
I you started, think you're feeling the, your anxiety is paralleling her anxiety? Totally. Like you're feeling it, it within yourself. Well, well, for me, it it's about two things. So it's rare that you get these kind of call-outs yeah. because thankfully in Australia, sudden deaths like this are very, very rare. That's and, true. And so you and I were talking about how privileged we are to be living in a country where a death like this is quite unusual. Yes, in the big cities. Yes. Yeah, and, uh, Absolutely. and in areas of our cities. Yes. And so this was done in a big city. Yes. And there would have been all of the medical intervention possible for this child. That's true. And so it was with that that we were saying, gosh, you know, it is, you know, from a very privileged position, but it makes it unusual. Therefore, it makes it, it makes it very anxiety provoking for the social worker. Oh, yeah. Because the other thing it does, Mim, is that it defies human nature. You know, yeah. our babies and our children, it feels primarily wrong that a child dies before their parent or their grandparent. Yes, that's so there's, very true. there's that underlying. But the part that just broke my heart was when she told the story of the father coming in. Yeah. And yeah. his reaction. That's when I'm relieved that my neighbour was not in his garden as I'm <laughs> hanging up the clothes because I'm weeping. Yes. Quite noticeably weeping. Yeah, yeah. Um, Do you think that this social worker... I'm, I'm conscious that this is a bit of a turning point story for this social worker. What do you mean? Like, it's obviously stayed with her. She, the social worker who's provided the story is not a new graduate. She's been working for a long time. And this is the story that she's chosen to share, right? Um, I, I, I guess I'm thinking about how whether this might have been the first it was, I case think, of its yeah, kind that she's, she's dealt with. Yeah, because I think when it's your first child going through CPR that's actually quite a different experience again isn't it your first sudden death of a child yeah yeah it does it does have a larger meaning for you and I noticed that there were some similar things happened in this story as what they did in our first so the social worker is supporting the family and that's a really weird space to be in when you're standing with the family, the child is being worked on or it could be an adult. It's a weird space for a social worker because there's nothing much you can do apart from being in the space with them. Yeah. And then remember how we reflected in the first episode about it's then sadly that Mia, little Mia dies and the mm. baton is then passed on from the doctors to the nurses yes. and nurses to the social worker. And that's when she had to take over that space. It's almost part B of the intervention. Part A is the sitting with the family and... Bearing witness. Bearing witness to what they're experiencing and being with them in this acute time of grief, right? Yes. But part B is when now the your intervention is taken up a notch and uh, you do need to take, take some leadership with your practice skills as well now, right? And, and there is that leadership, absolutely, but there's also the working with the team. Yeah. So what I found really interesting was, yeah, she teamed up with the doctors and the nurses and the doctors were providing information when they needed to and the nurse was beautifully kind of cleaning up the space, um, probably cleaning up Mia. Mm. Um, 
But there was that interesting partnership that she made with the auntie. Mm. And I think that was very sophisticated social work. And I would say to any social workers just learning their their their, their footing in this space, do that. Yeah. Find who that person is. We used to call it in when I was working in ED, who's the person to give the bereavement pack to? Yeah. Because it's not necessarily the next of kin. Because as you know, that mother was just bereft yes and I Wouldn't think have it's, taken anything it's on. the notion of the support person isn't it so that person who is going to be able to support the acutely grieving people in the situation um, but I think the social worker can sometimes fall into different roles when it comes to working with a support person yes sometimes they can be mis- mistakenly ignoring them sometimes mm. they can go too far and end up working primarily with the support person as opposed to the family themselves. Good point. Uh, there is a delicate balance, I think, of working in partnership, like you said, with the support person. And I definitely think this social worker gave us a really good step-by-step example of how to do that. Because she was using the aunties as a conduit, right? Yes. So she – and also checking in on how that auntie was going. Hmm. So very much walking There's actually a double role there, isn't there? Double role. Yeah. Um, The other thing I really liked about what our social worker was doing was that that death work. Did you notice how she treated Mia as if she's still alive? Even though this is a coronial uh, case now, little Mia would have had tubes hanging out of her that cannot be removed. That's right. And in fact, you cannot do a whole lot of moving and holding and because the police were wanting to do an investigation, right? So you have to be kind of, it's a sensitive dance between supporting the family to still touch and hold, mm. but knowing that there there's still a has limit. to be, a, yeah. there, there's a limit to it, Mim. Yeah. But she did that beautifully. She used Mia's name. So it's actually sitting in that legislative space, isn't it? With the, with the coroner and the requirements that the coroner has. But with heart. But balancing that with the being present for the family, empowering them to still farewell and spend that final time with the little one. Yeah. And so examples of that was when Mia's body had to be moved into another room. Yeah. The sensitivity around saying this is what we're needing to do to give you space, yeah. wrapping her in the blanket then having to advocate with the police around giving extra time, spending time with the children, I'm assuming they were siblings, making sure that they were were part of this process. Yeah, that's right, actually making sure it was a collective effort, what was happening. And, Mm. Mim, the other thing that really... Like, I really love rituals, you know me. Yeah. And so I love... I love contemporary, contextualised rituals. So one of the things that they talk about, which is very common in ED, is if there is a death and they're having to move a body out of ED into, in this case, into a private room, nurses and doctors will draw the curtains around the other patients as a sign of respect for both for both the patients but also for the family and little Mia. Yeah. And... I really loved how that was done and there would have been a quietness that would have settled over the ED as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the way in which her, her 
uh, colleagues in the hospital respected her time. So when she was paged twice and mentioned, this is what I'm currently doing, those referrers, so whether they're doctors, nurses, whoever, backed off yeah, because right. it is important work. And that, to me, says that social work has come a long way a in long hospital way. practice. Absolutely. In that emergency department, there's obviously been quite a long history of social work working with death and dying, acute grief in that space, right? Yes. So there are cultures and traditions that have been brought up and have been created in that space to allow social work practice to occur, actually. Yeah, and you I know? would say that it's been a hard-fought battle. Yeah, I would say so too. To carve that one out. And social workers previously would have had very different experiences. But for, for Mia and her family, mm. they benefited from the work of social workers. One of the things I wanted to mention was um, how the social worker had to facilitate the, the eventual goodbye at that moment for the family toward Mia. Mm. And that can be a hard point. Not always. Often people, you know, you can have anything from a quick, um, you know, viewing to a family being quite, you know, they're staying for the long haul. Yeah. But being that it was a coroner's case, being that there were police at the door, being that it was in an emergency department, there was not the luxury of that time. And I liked the way that the social worker facilitated that gently. And I am always interested in how social workers negotiate that space. So what do you think if you think about the stages she would have gone through, the social worker in negotiating that time and space, do you think that she would have been going back and forth between the family, the doctors, the nurses reiterating the family's needs do you think that's the primary i absolutely do and i think on the flip side she would have also been saying to the family um explaining why the police were there explaining why the police would need to be talking with them explaining why the police would need to be going home with them that it was part of a coronial um, process but carving out time for both parties yeah. So it's a fine balance and she did it very well. I listened to a social worker the other day in our training, our forensic social worker, and she was saying that one of the things that she has done, you know, when when it is difficult for a family to leave their child, their baby behind, that she will double clothe the baby yeah. and that the family can take the top layer off and the blanket and take that home. That was just a little recipe. That is you know, gorgeous. Like social workers develop these, these recipes yeah. in their practice. This, this social worker talked about those powerful statements. Mia will not be left alone. Yes. We will look after her. She will never be alone. And she won't be either. Yes. I mean, the reality is there's a lot of things that will be taking place. She will never be alone in that coronial process. Mm. Um, and then there will be also the opportunity for the family to spend more time with Mia at the funeral home. And at the coroner's office And she would have well. been saying that too. You know, Liz, I think for a lot of people who don't really know a lot about social work practice who might be listening to our podcast if they think about an emergency department often they're thinking about all that noise that happens and lots of doctors and nurses running around they look at thinking about the scenes they've seen in tv shows and things like that right um they never show these scenes on the no, tv show they never the do they never do but also i think what this and then the next question that people often ask is but what does a social worker do there 
like people have come to that emergency department because there's something wrong with their body they would need a doctor or a nurse what on earth would a social worker do and what I love about this story and the way that you've just stepped that through and explained it is that this is the important work that social workers do there is nobody else whose job it is to go back and forth between the different parties in the emergency department and give these messages that actually support and empower the family that are the reason around the reason that has brought them there mm. right the fact that there is a medical condition or situation that has that has brought someone to the emergency department in this case it's the death of this child is a very small piece of what is the work that the social worker gets involved with. Yeah, good. Very you know well what said. I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Mim, the other thing I just wanted to highlight was how... like So the social worker talks about the fact she's a mum. Yeah, that's right. She and does. she goes there... She goes to her mother yeah. side initially. Remember, she gets a call... And That's right. She it's has her mum self that actually her mum self has a response. So I reflected on that, and I thought, look, she makes that statement to herself about you need to be professional self, mm. and you need to focus on this family. But the reality is, mum and social work self would have been present for that family. Yeah, and I would have no doubt in my mind and heart that she would have used both her social work knowledge and skills. But also the heart of the mother would have come mm. through there too. That would have been part of her practice. It wouldn't have just been, oh, all right, I'm just putting on my professional badge now and leaving mother behind. I think, but I think that's the great fiction of um, professionalism is that you have two very separate hats, one you as the person and one you as the professional, and that you actually just replace one for the other and they ho are wholeheartedly replaced they have no remnants of each other left behind. I think that's an absolute fiction, Liz. Yeah. That it's actually, to use an expression that you've taught me, it's so binary. It's yeah. so binary. It is. It is. And I, that's right. Like these two senses of selves actually intertwine and connect much more than we ever in our Western notions of professionalism like to actually admit. And she was so in that space Wasn't with them she? by the sounds of things. Yeah. But I also liked how she then reflected on what it was like to go home and mm. be back in her family space and the impact that that had on her. So that was interesting. But, but the last point I just wanted to have a chat with you about, Mim, is he's a practitioner who, let's say it's years down the track since that happened. Yeah, it would have been a long time, yeah. She still reflects on that in a way that's about her practice. She still was asking herself, did I do the best that I could have with that family? Would I change anything yes. that I did? Yeah. And I think that's a mark of a good social worker. Oh, I agree. It's that lifelong learning and ongoing reflective cycle that we talk about that actually no case stands alone. Every case that you experience and work on feeds into a reflective cycle that means that you are improving your practice every case you go through in your career. I, th I think that's actually one of the great gifts that this social worker has given us in her story is an example of how to reflect as a mature social worker on the work that you've done always. I, I, like, I think we need to leave it there. What a beautiful point to... 
to end our conversation. What do you think? Yeah, I think so as well. And um, I, I just want to thank – I know we're always thanking our social workers for their stories, but I know that this story would have been hard for some people to listen to. Mm. It is a sadder one. And I think s- reflectively it's also hard sometimes for social workers to tell these stories. And I really do want to thank the social workers who give us their stories on this podcast because – um, as we said at the beginning, we, we de-identify, stories are changed, but the essence of how you work with people is, I think, very true. Beautifully said, Nim. Let's leave it there then, Liz. Our listeners can hit us up and send us messages on at SOWK Stories Pod. You know, that would be great because back to the swapping recipes, Yeah, there might be some really useful tips that other social workers do on call might also want to share. Oh, that would be great to hear some of those. Wouldn't it be great? Yeah. Could we have a social work stories recipe book? We could. We could. They can also contact us on the website, which is socialworkstories.com. That's right. And this is our uh, website that is now up and running and we're going to continue to put content up on that website. So people should keep an eye on that anyway. Uh, So before we sign off, Liz, thank you to Ben Joseph and Justin Stesh, our producers. And thank you to you, Liz, again, for such a beautiful conversation. I love spending time with you and having these conversations. I know. It's just going to bore people by us kind of loving each other up. But I do too with you. I don't think that bores anyone, Liz. I think that's why they tune in. Bye, Liz. Bye. Bye, everyone. See you next time.